Hello, Mississippi and abroad. Welcome to Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford, the Ole Miss beat writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, joined today by our Mississippi State writer, Dalton Middleton. Dalton, we're winding down your time with the Daily Journal. Big announcement. I know we haven't talked about that on the podcast. Actually, haven't done a podcast in a while. We were always going to dial back in the summer anyway, folks, so we're kind of uh, uh, remaking ourselves for a couple of months, and, and we'll be hitting it uh, every day again uh, in August. But, uh, Dalton, when's the last day, man? Yeah, this is the last day is July 2nd, so I think that is uh, two weeks and two days from now. It's a, it's a Friday, so I think i got two weeks and two days left, it, left in the journal for me. Well, would you like to tell everybody why you're shafting the journal after such a short time? Man? It seems like <laughs> such a short time. Yeah, it seems like a short time. I think it's, uh, you know, from the high school writer standpoint and the people that were before me, I feel like it's a long time. But, right. uh, you know, four years. Um, and Jillian, my fiance, is has accepted a job as a, a legislative assistant in the state house in Montgomery, Alabama. So I am a uh, I am moving with her. I feel like it is the time to, uh, you know, we are engaged and, you know, we are both 25, 26. I feel like this is the right time and right move for us to try to start a uh, life together. And, you know, we have, uh, we've been dating for nearly six years now, Parrish, and we have never been in the same town ever. You know, the closest we've ever been is uh, Startville and Tuscaloosa, which we've been the last year. So uh, it is, uh, it's going to be nice to finally uh, live together in a, uh, start, uh, you know, starting a life together. Well, well, Dalton, I just can't understand why you would go chasing Jillian's salary uh, after graduating from law school, as opposed to uh, your journalism salary. I, I just can't uh, make that connection, but uh, wish you guys the best and, and uh, excited to hear that she'll be in the state house and looking forward to uh, hearing her Kay Ivey uh, imitation on YouTube. Can y'all make that happen? She'll be yeah, around the Ivy, man. I want to hear that. Uh, I want to hear that Alabama governor uh, impression on, on YouTube. I bet she can do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send her a message today and ask her to start rehearsing and see tell, if she can, uh, see get, she can master that. Yeah, get, get on that. Tell her I'm very interested in that. So, hey, lots to talk about in the program today, folks. Uh, before we get there, we want to thank our partners with the Oxford Park Commission. Uh, you know, Dalton, when we think about parks and recreation departments, you know, I think what often comes to mind are the, the youth programs, children and youth programs and, and doing things uh, for our younger people. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, OPC has it going on uh, for everyone. And we've talked about the adult flag football league. We've talked about adult softball. But this summer, uh, they're offering three-on-three adult basketball. Uh, registration is underway. And, and this is compelling, Dalton. You know, to me, I, I, I just think of pickup basketball and how much, uh, you know, I enjoyed that in high school and college. And the, and the knees aren't what they once were, but uh, this is going to be a half-court game uh, with officials. And, and I couldn't run point, but I could, uh, you know, and I wouldn't be that guy that, that never comes off the floor. But I think I could post up and foul people and step out and take a shot with, with emphasis on on taking a shot and, and creating a rebound opportunity. Uh, what do you think, man? Uh, could, uh, we need one more. Who could be our third? Yeah, I can come over there and uh, I can try to be your center. I can try to post up for you guys. You know, I'm, I got a little bit of height on me. I don't got, I'm not crazy tall, but, uh, you know, I'm sitting around about 6'2", almost 6'3". So I, I, can, yeah. I can post up a little bit for yeah. you. Yeah, sounds like uh, sounds like you're in the post. 
And not only uh, three-on-three basketball, but uh, beginning July 7th and running through August 4th, there's adult kickball. Kickball. Now, I visited with John Davis of OPC yesterday. He's marketing this as uh, play like a kid again. And I thought that was so appropriate because I think everybody remembers PE kickball uh, in elementary school and, uh, and, and how much uh, fun that was. So lots going on at OPC this summer. For information on these programs and many more, visit OxfordParkCommission.com. Uh, Dalton, uh, we always, uh, you know, always bring, the, bring us in with uh, the SEC through the lens of Mississippi and uh, that's really kind of uh, kind of appropriate. It's always appropriate, but uh, really, right now with uh, the Mike Bianco LSU conversation going on in, in Mississippi State, uh, uh, defeating Notre Dame to go to the College World Series, we're, we're kind of where we often are this time of year with State in the College World Series and Ole Miss at the doorstep and not breaking through. Uh, but while there's often talk about, and, and maybe there is still this talk, Dalton, from State fans about. Uh, you know, Ole Miss at home again and, and all that. I just think that's that's so far uh, off of the Ole Miss radar right now as they try to determine uh, if they're going to have a coaching search uh, for the baseball position here in a little bit. And it, it sounds like Mike Bianco is the leading candidate there uh, at LSU. And uh, his former assistant, Cliff Godwin, is the other candidate uh, now at East Carolina. Cliff is also a former LSU assistant. So, but it, it sounds like just uh, from the vibe I'm getting that uh, uh, Bianco is is the leader there and will have a decision to make. Now, uh, as we produce uh, this morning, uh, there's probably a meeting going on right now uh, in Keith Carter's office, and uh, and Mike and Keith are in there uh, talking about things. And uh, Keith has uh, has told us that this will be uh, your standard uh, end of the season meeting that he has with all coaches and just kind of uh, looking at the program. But, uh, you know, come on. I mean, th those, those meetings typically uh, uh, the agenda will turn on, on whatever the topic of the day is. And I think, uh, I think Mike's uh, job status will be the topic of the day. So uh, that Rebel Road trip will be in Tupelo this evening. So while uh, Keith visited a little bit uh, yesterday with Patrick McGee uh, down on the Gulf Coast, Patrick with the Sun Herald uh, was able to ask him questions about uh, when will when will the meeting be, and I'll be able to ask the questions about well how did it go, right? And I pray probably he didn't say much to Patrick, and he probably won't say much to me, but uh, at least uh, there'll be that that difference there. I want to come back to the Bianco discussion, uh, Dalton, but let's talk Mississippi State in the College World Series first. It's the 12th time. I was watching, uh, you know, just watching the scores, a little bit of the games, watching the scores from uh, Arizona and, and saw Notre Dame jump out to a 7-3 to lead in game one and then State come back and win on the home run late. And uh, – I just I listened to a good bit of the game driving back from the airport in Memphis on Monday, game three we're talking about. And, uh, you know, State just jumped all over Notre Dame pitching. And it made me think that Notre Dame was a lot like Ole Miss. Uh, good hitting, not uh, no pitching depth. Uh, game three was obviously a problem for those guys. So what, what, what were your takeaways uh, from the Super Regional? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as a whole, you know, just responding to that comment that you just made, I think Notre Dame had a little more pitching depth than Ole Miss. Um, mm -hmm. They had one really good reliever, much like Ole Miss does with Taylor Broadway, but he was a more of a mid-relief, long-relief, closer-type guy. He pitched um, in game one when their ace didn't make it very far, and I think he threw 80 or 90 pitches, and they didn't pitch him again the rest of the weekend. Um, and, and, it, you know, I think that really put them behind because, uh, you know, they pitched their ace, which is their best pitcher, and then their best relief pitcher in game one and lost. Um, when, you know, they put him in there when it was, I think it was 7-3, they were winning, and they didn't expect to come back, for the state to come back. But, um, you know, state fought back. That was the Friday game, Saturday game, was uh, was probably the best game I've watched all year, Paris. That was just a great back-and-forth game. It was, uh, you know, it was 7-3, and then, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, how the scoring went after that. I'm having trouble remembering exactly, but I know, you know, they traded some runs there at the end. I know state took a um, – they had tied at 7-7, and then uh, Mississippi State took an 8-7 lead. Notre Dame tied at 8-8, and then the the long home run there. Um, solo home run, I think it was in the bottom of the seventh inning to take, to take a 9-8 lead. And then uh, Landon Sims, of course, came in and shut the door. And, um, you know, it was very, um, very uncharacteristic of Notre Dame because the reason why State was able to come back into the game wasn't because of Mississippi State pitching. Parish, it was because of Notre Dame's fielding. And, you know, they came in as the best fielding team in the country. They had 26 errors on the entire year. And uh, they made four in, on, in Saturday's game one. You know, uh, shortstop uh, Zach Prasner, I think is how you pronounce his name, you know, um, had an outstanding offensive night. He, I think he was three for four with a three-run home run, two doubles, had a great night on Saturday. But he also – had the two had the two biggest errors in the game, you know, um, in the same inning that allowed State to tie it up. Um, and, you know, he had one where it just, you know, it, it was a bad hop, ate him up, you know, just wasn't used to the, the field. And then one where uh, he had a double play ball, hit straight to him, you know, just a routine double play would have been, you know, any team in the country would have turned a double play right there. And uh, he just goes to try to transfer it to his hand and the ball just flies out. And it just, uh, you know, both runners are safe. And then both those runs come around to score, you know, a batter or two later. So uh, they kind of let State back into that one and State made them pay. And then sat, uh, on Sunday's game, too, um, Notre Dame's, they had they're, all three of their starters were lefties. And, you know, State has struggled against lefties this year for the most part. Um, comes in, he's, he's only throwing about, uh, you know, he doesn't throw very hard, you know, mid 80s, you know, kind of lighter stuff. And, uh, he just comes in and has some has some really good breaking ball and made Mississippi State batters chase and that's what they did all night and he threw uh, nearly a complete game, um, yeah and then Monday they just State jumped out all over him. It was just a much different approach from State on Monday. Uh, instead of chasing, they were waiting on their pitches. You know they weren't. Uh, they were just they just had better plate discipline, I guess you could say. Um, and then they made them. They made them pay for it you know they scored six runs there in the second and they uh, I think they went through four Notre Dame pitchers during that stretch all of their best bullpen arms um besides the their best one who didn't pitch since uh, Saturday so all the other guys that they usually use you know they had a guy that comes in throwing you know high 90s I think he's 97 98 and you know from the right side Mr. State just shells him you know just gets him out as quick as he came in and then um 
They go up 11 to 5, I think it was, 10 to 2 before Houston Harding was pulled, the, the starter for state. And then um, they're up 11 5, and they bring in Landon Sims to shut the door. And he, those four innings, allowed a two run bomb from the Cavadas kid that uh, was the longest home run I've ever seen. But he uh, shut the door for the most part. And uh, now state makes Omaha mostly because of, um, you know, some clutch hitting and which is not something that they've been used to this year, but clutch hitting and the strength of the bullpen because the starters outside of uh, Houston Harding this weekend weren't very good. Well, uh, the clutch hitting, that's a little bit of a different, uh, uh, a different trait for them, right? That, that offense wasn't really their MO this season. Is that right? Yeah, it wasn't, they, they had some, they had some uh, times this year where they scored a lot and they had, they've had a little more power this year than they've had in the past. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of times this year where it was, you know, with two outs or something, you you don't see them swinging and hitting doubles. You see them striking out looking, you know, and I think that's kind of been a theme for them is, uh, you know, just not really having that clutch hit. You, you saw it a few times this year, you know. I think the biggest one of the year was probably uh, outside of this weekend was probably against Broadway with Tanner Allen um, with the bases, uh, bases clear and triple there in uh, whatever inning that was when they played Ole Miss. But other than that, yeah, you know, there hasn't been much great clutch hitting. But this weekend, it just seems like, you know, and especially in game one and game three, whenever they needed a hit, somebody was coming through for it. It didn't matter if it was the bottom of the lineup, top of the lineup or whatever. But, uh, you know, everyone was seemed to be coming through. Even Lane Forsythe, who, uh, you know, state shortstop, the nine-hole hitter, he was – I think he was five for uh, – I think he was five for his last 52. That's, that's quite a slump there. Um he hadn't. I think he was over his last twenty something, or you know, hadn't got a hit, hadn't had a double, a two multi-game hit, and you know, since April, I don't think. And uh, he ended up even getting a single and a two walks or something, and just had a good plate approach. It was just a different game for him on on Monday afternoon. Well, you've got to hit uh, with men on base. You've got to get the clutch hits that time of year. These this is what separates teams this time of year. And we talked many times during the season about. Uh, the Ole Miss offense, which was really good most of the year and led the SEC in hitting most of the year, but not at the end. They kind of tailed off at the end. Uh, we always said – I always said it was, Ole Miss was going to go as far as its offense would take it. You know, this was a, a drastically different team after Gunnar Hoagland went down. I mean, it was bad enough when Tim Elko was out for a month and, and you know, maybe – Maybe a few at-bats from Tim Elko, the way he played at the end of the season. Maybe uh, a couple of those at-bats would have made a difference in the series against uh, Arkansas, Mississippi State, uh, others that he missed. Uh, you know, a few of those at-bats could have changed the regular season uh, for Ole Miss. But uh, this team just didn't, didn't hit well at the end of the season. And, and Elko, the MVP in the Oxford Regional, uh, didn't have a great super regional, didn't have a great game one. And, you know, so much goes into game one, so much pressure uh, when you lose, so much of an advantage when you win that first game in a super regional. And certainly that would have been multiplied many times over for Ole Miss had they been able to hit and win game one against uh, Arizona. People will look at game three, a 16 to three loss, and you got blown out and you weren't very competitive. And, all of that's true, but the bottom line is uh, in game one, aside from Jacob Gonzalez, the freshman at shortstop, who will be a star, uh, nobody else hit. Uh, you, your guys that you depend on didn't hit. Uh, Kevin Graham, Hayden Dunhurst, 
Tim Elko in that game were a combined 0 for 9. Right. That's not a that's not a recipe for success for Ole Miss. They lost that game nine to three. They got behind the eight ball. Their best chance to win any game out there was going to be with Doug Nikhazy, uh, and that turned out to be the case as well in his start. Uh, and they happened to hit that game, and they win uh, twelve to three. Okay, so you draw even. Uh, and what's your best chance in game three? You got to hit with Arizona because your pitching is gone. Is gone. Right. You, you got to hit with them, and, and they didn't do that. So uh, they were always going to go after Gunnar Hoagland was hurt. They were going to go as far as their offense would take them, and uh, it did not take them past Arizona, which I thought was a, a very dynamic offensive team. I mean, just a very good one through nine in that lineup. So that was the, the Super Regional in the nutshell. And we knew before going out to Arizona that Mike Bianco was a candidate for the LSU job, uh, LSU replacing Paul Maneri. Uh, that news came about uh, his retirement while the Rebels were still playing in the SEC tournament. And, you know, warning uh, warning alerts uh, in your head went off then because, yeah, I figured they, they would take a look at uh, Mike Bianco. I didn't believe he would be among their top candidates, and he has not been. But so many times, uh, Dalton, uh, those coaching searches get to the B list pretty quickly. Yeah, and, right. and LSU went through uh, Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida, and they went through uh, Pat Casey, the former Oregon State coach, and they took a swing, I believe, I'm pretty sure, at uh, Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt. And look, you know, and, and we're talking about LSU. We're talking about five national championships and, and attendance leaders through the nation and, and just all of these things that LSU baseball is and became under Skip Burton. I mean, you know, programs these days, you, you just don't go out – the big programs don't go out and swoop on the little programs and get their first choice all the time. It just doesn't happen. Everybody has facilities. Everybody has money. So the days of swooping are not what they once were. Sometimes that happens. And you saw, right. you saw Texas A&M get its first choice for baseball coach with Jim Schlossnagel uh, from TCU. Sometimes it happens. Mississippi State didn't get its first choice. Got a great coach with Chris Lamonis. But, you know, wasn't, uh, wasn't who they went after first. So not surprising that LSU search could get to the B list and that Bianco could emerge. And, and we'll just see uh, how this week plays out because I think they'll have a coach. Uh, and it'll be either Mike Bianco or Cliff Godwin. And uh, honestly, Dalton, I think, uh, you know, the, the winner in this LSU coaching search right now is Cliff Godwin because he's got three schools that want him. East Carolina wants him to stay. Uh, LSU may want him to come or they may not, but they have definite interest. And uh, if, if Mike Bianco goes to LSU, there's a real chance that, uh, that Ole Miss uh, could extend an offer to Cliff Godwin as well. So it, it sounds like he's the winner <laughs> in, in this LSU uh, chase. I, I'd agree with you there. And I think Godwin, you know, after watching, you know, when they lost the other day to uh, Vanderbilt, he had a little post-game interview I saw on Twitter where he, you know, just was super emotional. And, you know, he was saying, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna break down the store. You know, we're we're gonna get there. Um, and you know, I was sitting there thinking when I watched that video, I said, oh, there's no way he's leaving. There's no way he wants to leave. But then you think about it, and it's like, um, you know, I think someone posted a salary online. Um, and um, obviously that's not a secret. You know, no one's salaries are secret in the sports business. Um, but you know, when I think of LSU or Ole Miss. 
and he, as much as I would love, you know, the school like where he's at right now and how he much how he loves those kids and loves that school and what, that program he's in. But like when you think about Ole Miss and LSU, and LSU, they could they could triple his salary right now easily. You know, just walking in the door and that talks and then that talks. And then also, I mean, you know, LSU is a great facility, but, you know, they're both Ole Miss and LSU. You can't lose going there because there's so the fan base is great. You know, the facilities are fantastic. You know, it's such a great program with standards. And so no matter what happens there, I think, you know, it's very possible, like you said, where Mississippi State didn't get the guy on their A-list or, you know, didn't get the guy they wanted. And, you know, if Bianco leaves Ole Miss, you know, maybe, you know, Godwin comes back to Ole Miss and, you know, that could be on an A-list there. But, you know, um, like you said, he is the winner. He's got tons of options, you know. And I really thought the other day that uh, when I saw that video, I was like, yeah, you know, you know Paris, there's no, there's no way he's leaving. He's, he cares too much about these kids here. But, you know, you, you think that about every coach at every spot and how much they care for the kids they have. But uh, coaches leave all the time and money talks, you know. You know how it is. Well, never are you more emotional as a coach or a player than right after a game. The right. highs are high, the lows are low, and, a, and especially a game of, of that magnitude playing to go to uh, the College World Series. So, you know, uh, emotion, you're going to be emotional right then. Uh, but, you know, emotion, you know, wears off, wears off quickly. And uh, I don't believe it'll be a, an easy thing, will be an easy thing for uh, Cliff Godwin to leave East Carolina. Uh, but most people would consider that to be the right thing for his career, uh, for the interest that, uh, that uh, others are showing in him. Now, uh, everybody's career is their own business. And uh, some folks might want to stay at a smaller school and just kind of you know, be, be there and, and uh, be drawn to that environment. And that's great. If that's, if that's Cliff Godwin, that's great. But the other thing here is if that is Cliff Godwin, and, and if there's no way he's leaving East Carolina, he's had about four days right now to say, uh, I'm pulling myself out of the LSU race. I'm pulling myself right. out of contention for this job. He's not done that. So he's obviously willing to leave East Carolina for LSU. I suspect he would be willing to leave East Carolina uh, for Ole Miss. Um, and, and look, I think Ole Miss would uh, would give uh, Dan McDonald a call at Louisville first. He's turned down a lot of other people. I figure he'll turn down Ole Miss as well. But I think you make that call. Uh, there are Ole Miss, obviously, Ole Miss connections. There are good times for Dan McDonald at Ole Miss while uh, the program was being built with he and Mike Bianco. Uh, so I think you give him a call and, uh, and and see what he says. He's been at Louisville a lot longer than he's been at Ole Miss right now. And, uh, and the thing about, you know, so many people, Dalton, think, uh, oh, we're just going to call so-and-so and then they're going to come and they're going to be the coach. People leave one place and they go to another place. And, and while they don't forget all the people they worked with and they don't forget the relationships that, that they had at their previous stop, they make new friends. They build new relationships. They have new experiences with new people and those things matter. And it matters uh, that Dan McDonald has established himself as, uh, as a College World Series coach at Louisville and has built that program. Didn't have a great season this year. They'll be back. Uh, right. he, he's still very, uh, you know, coveted uh, as a coach. So you give him a call and you give him, a, you know, have that conversation. And, and I think he'll listen because it's uh, out of respect for Ole Miss. 
Do I think he will come? I do not. Do I think Cliff Godwin will come? Yes. And I'm always uh, uh, eager to have a quick coaching search. Now, this, Dalton, um, coaching searches, they take weird turns. Could happen. You know, could happen in, in a conversation between Ole Miss and, uh, and Cliff Godwin that, uh, uh, that, that something comes up and there's some sticking point and, the, and they talk about it and talk about it, but whatever it is, they just can't overcome it. That could happen. All right. So then who becomes the Ole Miss coach? And I think it would still be a wow hire. I think uh, Keith Carter is going to throw money into this process, assuming uh, that he has a coaching search here in a bit. Uh, I think uh, there will be a big salary. Uh, I think you already are selling uh, atmosphere and history and talent and uh, your tradition. You're selling a lot of things that make this program attractive right off the bat. And then you're going to throw a big boy salary in there too. If right. the search takes that turn, uh, I say don't be surprised to uh, see Arizona coach Jay Johnson's name tossed around a bit. And I say that with, with no you know, having heard nothing that, uh, that would make me believe that this process was about to end that way but just having experienced uh, Jay Johnson through the Super Regional and hearing him really gush about uh, the Ole Miss program, the facilities, the atmosphere, the recruiting, all of these things that he brought up on his own unprompted. Obviously, he's really in tune with uh, uh, the Ole Miss program. Uh, he's in tune with the fact that the Rebels beat him for – Jacob Gonzalez, the shortstop from California. Uh, he really talked about that a little bit this weekend as well as, uh, as Gonzalez really tore up Arizona pitching. So, um, you know, would it be uh, hard to get uh, Jay Johnson from Arizona? He has no Mississippi ties or anything like that. But uh, a guy who just gushed about Ole Miss uh, in that manner uh, – you know, maybe he would like an opportunity to coach in the SEC. You know, I think uh, he talked He talked a lot about the SEC being on TV all the time. Again, unprompted. We didn't say, hey, what do you think about the SEC being on TV all the time? You know, right. unprompted. So that matters to him, okay? Would he like to coach in the SEC? Maybe. Yeah. And uh, the other thing you have here is recency bias because Keith Carter just saw a dynamic Arizona offense uh, handle Ole Miss in two games out of three. So if it comes to that, uh, if Ole Miss has to find a coach, I think they call McDonald. I think he says no. I think they call Godwin. I think he says yes. If he doesn't, it gets uh, very interesting because there will be an attractive coach come, and it would not be uh, it would not be surprising to see Jay Johnson's name in that mix. Yeah, Parrish, and the, the, I agree with you completely. It kind of sounds like maybe Jay Johnson was uh, trying to get ahead of it a little bit. You know, he's like, oh, hey, you know, I really like this Ole Miss program. If, you know, if, if, if Bianco's leaving, you know, I'm here. And, you know, he probably wasn't actually doing that. But it, it, it kind of sounds like that way if he's, uh, you know, gushing over him a little bit. And, Parrish, I, I'll be honest with you, from a from a neutral observer, and this is going to be a little off the coaching search that you just discussed, but um, and I, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, uh, if I'm wrong, correct me, but as, as a completely neutral observer of the Ole Miss, you know, program with somebody with no 
feelings towards the program at all. Um, I'm, I'm kind of torn on the, if Bianco uh, leaves, uh, because I know a lot of people want him gone and everyone's saying he doesn't live up to the tradition. He doesn't live up to the standard that's set there. But Parrish, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the standard traditions there because of him, right? I mean, he's been there and it's been so good and everyone's just talking about how he doesn't live up to that standard, but you know, he's been the one that set that I feel like. There were college world series appearances before Mike Bianco, a couple Um, there was baseball success before Mike Bianco, but it was, uh, it was not sustained. It was not sustained and it was not what you would call modern era success. And uh, anyway, you know, so uh, I think uh, the baseball program that you see right now, I, I, I think uh, I think it's because of Mike Bianco 100%. I think he, uh, he built the standard, he uh, changed the standard, and he is a victim of the standard to a degree because uh, when you get this close – and look, it's, is it fair? Probably not. Would, you, w- would Ole Miss be happy with a basketball coach – that reached the sweet 16 of his sport like every other year uh, and sometimes several years in a row, would would they be happy with that? Would Mississippi State be happy with that? Probably yes. Uh, You'd you'd be happy with it until you got used to it uh, and and until you saw others in your conference who were getting over that hump and you were not. Then it all changes. And uh, Mike Bianco has been to the doorstep of – what is basketball's equivalent of the elite eight. You know, he's been to the doorstep of the elite eight seven times and has broken through only once. Look, some people can't, you can't get over that. You know, that's a valid point. That's a valid discussion. You know, do, do, does the program take a step back uh, if Mike Bianco leaves maybe next year, but uh, there are other coaches who can, you know, who can compete at this level as well. And I think Mike Bianco has built a program that can attract a coach like that. Can another coach break through and, and get this program to Omaha consistently? Um, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. Is coach fatigue a real thing? Yes, it's a real thing. Is that what's going on here? Probably some of that. Uh, will Mike Bianco take the LSU job? I think he will, but I think uh, it will be a long and, and hard and thoughtful uh, discussion. You know, people look at, at the Bianco family, Dalton, and used to be, well, he's got all these kids here and they're all in the school system and, you know, and, and on and on. All the kids are gone. All those sons are gone. They've left home. They're at, uh, at different colleges right now. Uh, the daughter, Catherine, is there. Uh, she is a senior. She will be a senior at Oxford High School. They've all gone through the Oxford School District there. And uh, I just think you can work that out. You know, if you want to leave and, and become the coach at LSU uh, for one school year, that kind of separation where you can still right. visit on the weekends out of season and, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's not like you would never see your family. I think you could work that out without taking – uh, your daughter out of the school district for the very important senior year. I think he could work through that. Other people say, well, he didn't want to coach his sons and he's got uh, 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 one on the team there, Drew Bianco at LSU. And I, well, again, 
you might have to work through that awkwardness for one season or two, and you can do that. Uh, but if you're going to be the coach and you're going there because you think you're going to be successful, uh, you're going to be there longer than the player. You know, so those things I think you work out. But I think, I think Mike Bianco's – the relationship of his family – with the Oxford community, I think that's a real thing here. I think that's something right. that, that gets a lot of thought and consideration and prayer, and uh, and and then a decision is made. So, uh, and and I think, like you mentioned, you know, if he does leave, um, you know, Ole Miss has, you know, arguably a top two, top three facilities and field in the country. They've got the money. They're an SEC program. They're right there on the doorstep. You know. Like you mentioned, if, if he leaves, Ole Miss is going to be in good shape. They're going to get him a good coach, and they're going to continue to be good. I mean, they're going to continue. And maybe they get a coach that knocks down that door and is, and is a staple in the College World Series every year like 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 the fans are expecting, like they have the talent to be every once in a while. Folks, that will wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. Check out our work at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left, scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. And you'll see Dalton Middleton's there, work there for a little while. Uh, we look forward to uh, continuing to provide coverage and keeping up with Dalton as, uh, as uh, he moves on to a, you know, a, a different uh, journey. Uh, Dalton, been good working with you. I don't know, maybe we'll uh, do another one of these, but uh, I think you're fixing to go to, uh, to Omaha. So, folks, yeah. that'll wrap us up. Thanks for being with us.